0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present the Diane Ray Show. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today and joining me as we get ready for a very weird Thanksgiving weekend. You know, it's (laughs) unprecedented, right? You keep hearing that word tossed around a lot this year. And I know this year is going to be really different for a lot of us one way or another. I mean, I just got off the phone with my sister. She's frantic in Florida with Thanksgiving kind of blowing up and, you know, it's, it's crazy kind of what we're dealing with, but whatever your plans are, I hope that you stay safe and try to remember some things that you're grateful for. And one of the things I'm really grateful for is that I have this show to share amazing ideas and information with you each week. I think they're amazing. (laughs) And I always try to have people on that, I think are interesting and topics that I think are interesting and hopefully you do too. So whether you catch me live, which we're doing live radio right now, or get the podcast, I really try to introduce you to people that I think have a great message to share and I know this has been a tough year for a lot of people on the job front, especially. And I have friends who have lost jobs to downsizing due to the pandemic. And it's a scary place to be. It it really is, you know, especially as the year is coming to an end. If you're looking ahead to try to find another job. Hey, I hear you. I've been given the boot many times. So I know it's not fun, so I can definitely relate to this. And so I'm really excited to bring on my guest today to talk about this. If you're in a job search situation, you're not sure what to do about your career, we're going to have a conversation about facing our fears in this crazy time and moving forward with having the careers that we really want. It's not just a pipe dream. It's possible. My guest today is Emma Isaacs, and she is the founder and CEO of Business Chicks, a global community for women entrepreneurs and business leaders who are dedicated to helping each other succeed. I love this women, helping women, no cat fights here. We're all in this together. She is also the author of Winging It, Why Action Beats Planning Every Time. And I love this book. I just finished it this morning, actually. And Emma shares her story of launching a global company and juggling six kids in the process without going completely crazy. So I'd like to welcome Emma to the show right now. Thank you for joining me, Emma.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I haven't gone completely
0: crazy yet. I've gone a little bit crazy, but <laughs> still some sanity. <laughs> it's right. Great. I mean, that's that's probably expected, you know, just to go a, a little bit nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. In this situation. And yeah. you're joining me, you're just right up the the street, actually. I'm here in San Diego and you're in LA. So I'm really glad that you could spend some time with me today. So I wanted to start off just So people that aren't familiar, I was looking at your website a little bit earlier before the show. Tell us what Business Chicks actually is and describe the company to someone who's never heard of you before. Yeah, for sure. So Business Chicks is a
1: community for women. Um, Lots of our members run their own businesses, but a huge bunch um, also work for other companies. Um, We provide support and connection and networking. We, pre-pandemic, were producing about 110 live events. Um, A lot of these events had up to 5,000 women and a few brave men attending um we have presented speakers over the years people like sir richard branson ariana huffington brene brown liz gilbert uh, seth godin Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker so um, you name them we've probably worked alongside them and and really the business is all about how do we empower women how do we equip them with the tools that they need to um, propel their careers forward or propel their businesses forward and it's a company that I've been running for the past 15 years so I'm um, I'm still very very excited about the work and whilst it has been a very very challenging year where we're all excited to see what the future holds for sure
0: Well, I'm excited about business chicks. I was on the site and I'm, I'm thinking, why haven't I joined this, you know? (laughs) So I'm going to be uh, clicking on there and joining the group, you know, after we have this conversation, because I, I just think it's so great what you're doing and bringing women together and showing that we're a lot stronger together than we are apart. And we, We can help each other. We can all rise, you know, to the top. And I want to talk about how how you did the pivot with your business, because I think a lot of people have had to do that this year and try to make that shift. Um, But I mean, you have a lovely accent. I'm sure people are thinking, well, how did you get from Australia to L.A.? (laughs) So I just wanted you to tell that that little bit first, you know, how how you got where you are on this this entrepreneurial journey that you're on.
1: Yeah, you're right. So I was born and raised in Sydney, Australia. Um, I had my first company when I was 18 years old. It was a staffing agency. So we'd put temporary and permanent staff into different uh, businesses. I led that company for seven years. It was a wonderful experience, very foundational for me to be in that small business, learning everything about, you know, from chasing debtors through to, uh, you know, hiring staff through to how to build amazing customer service practices, all of that. Um, and I did that business for, as I said, seven years before someone invited me along to a business chicks event. And I had a very different reaction, perhaps, to you, Diane. I actually thought it was a terrible, terrible name. And um, <laughs> I, I said to my friend, I'm not going to that. It's, a, it, it's insulting for women. It, I'm, I'm a feminist and I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not going to anything that calls themselves chicks. And she said, get over yourself and come along and experience this event. And, and I did um, and absolutely loved it. Ended up buying the company six months after that. And we started with 200 members. Um, we now reach over 500,000 women across the globe. Um, and, you know, this year has been, you know, a, a real challenge, obviously, for for everyone um, and for people who run their own businesses. The whole idea that we've had to change and pivot has been Um, you know, a real shake up for a lot of industries. So so with us, um, we had to take all our offline events uh, to, you know, turn them into digital events. Um, You know, we are making I don't know the exact figure, but you know, so so much less money than we were when we were running live events. Um, but one of the things that we made a very conscious decision about when the pandemic hit, we, me and my CEO, sat down and said, "Who do we want to be in this moment, and what do we want to be remembered for?" So we decided that we'd continue on with the intensity of the content. So we we're running three or four masterclasses every single week because we wanted to be that support for the community. We wanted to be a safe place for them to come to. We wanted them to continue to upskill and educate themselves and. To feel a sense of connection, because when we're all sitting in our homes um, and not going into an office or a workplace every day, it can be a very, very lonely place. So, that's a bit about our pivot. Um, unfortunately, like you mentioned in your intro, we we did have to contract the business um, at the start and make a few layoffs, which is a very, very, very hard thing for all leaders to do. Um, but you know, ultimately, we had to protect the other jobs in the business and make sure that we um, you know were stable and and viable throughout the pandemic. So I'm very very proud of what we've done yeah, up until this day.
0: yeah, it's a tough thing to do and especially I mean I've seen a lot of event event people really really struggle you know because you had everything just kind of pulled away mm. this year and then to have to you know do that a whole redesign of what you're doing. Um it's really amazing. And how long have you been in LA now from Australia? Five years now. Five years. So I have I have
1: six kids. I have um an eleven-year-old, nine, seven, five, three, and the new little guys five months. So half of them have American accents and the other half have Australian accents. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> it's been five years now. We love it here.
0: Wow, that's great. And what a shift, right? I mean, to move halfway around the world and yeah. then end up in LA although now that you've been there 5 years you're practically a native that's right <laughs> yeah angelina you're, you're an angelino yeah. that's so great it's been such uh, an amazing journey you've had and I'm really loving the book and I want to get into some of that because this is something I wish I would have read a few years ago you know but better better late than never right, right. and i hope people get the the inspiration that i got and kind of the confirmation that yeah winging it is okay <laughs> yeah. you know cuz i've i've long been kind of the fake it till you make it thing and and it's it just kind of brought up some memories of my own journey too like I remember first getting into to digital media and I came from an, a regular radio background. Like I was a rock DJ, you know, what, what did I know about talk radio or or anything else? You know, <laughs> not much. I mean, I could, I could backsell Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I remember freaking out when I first took a job, you know, this was 10, 11 years ago with Hay House. And I didn't know anything about digital media. And I talked to a friend of mine in talk radio. He's like, Oh, radio, you can do it. You know, <laughs> like no problem, you know. I'm like, okay. Well, I hope no one else knows that I don't know, you know what I'm doing. But you do, you do know. Like you put your head down and and you learn it, and you'll and you'll do it. You know. And I think I surprise surprise myself, and I found that in your story too. I could relate that. Like you kind of you'll surprise yourself, right? That you can do more than you think you can. And then even when I took this position with Unity Radio three years ago. And the same thing, like, I can't do this, you just like, this is too much. I can't change this whole network thing around and, and do this. And then three years later, you know, we're, we're still doing it. We're still growing, but we've grown so much. Now I can look back and say, wow, you know, we really, you know, we've really grown a lot just this year alone. We reached a million downloads over a million downloads of content from our site Mm -hmm. when before, it was, you know, I called it tumbleweeds and crickets. Like there was nobody coming to the site. So and I could, I can understand your feeling of like trying to wing it. Mm-hmm. And why, why do you think people are, are you know, women are perfectionists? I guess we're afraid of just winging it. Like we don't want people to know we don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And congratulations on all those successes, by the way, it's an amazing case study in winging it, right? Because, um, <laughs> You know, I I think I have a unique perspective um, on success just from having worked alongside some of the world's most amazing business visionaries and leaders and entrepreneurs for the past 15 years. And I've seen who they are and how they behave, you know, both on stage and then off stage, because when you get to travel with these people, you get to study, you know, how, how they go about their day. And so that unique perspective, coupled with the fact that I get to talk to thousands and thousands of women every single year, I, I understand what holds them back and what what really propels them forward. And I think a lot of it comes back to this idea of perfectionism, this idea of overanalyzing, this idea of making excuses. You know, I, I will get to it when the kids go to college. I will get to it when I make a little bit more money or I don't have the time or I don't have the education or I don't have the networks. So we really hold ourselves back by telling ourselves a story that we have to have all the answers before we start something, you know. And and certainly the the thing I found with the highly successful people I've worked alongside, the thing that they do differently is that they back themselves into situations and they find the confidence and the courage to take those risks and to start something. So that's certainly been the theme of my life. You know, I started the staffing agency without having any experience. And I was a kid. I was was like 18 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. But I got on my way. I asked a million questions. I educated myself. I wasn't scared to look silly at any point. Um, You know, I was vulnerable with my team. All of these sort of leadership characteristics that require us Um, to be amazing leaders and you know before you know it a decade passes and you've reached a level of success and you've learned a lot and you've failed along the way but ultimately i wouldn't have been there if i hadn't started and that that story echoes your your experience as well diane
0: right and some of the people that you mentioned like uh, sir richard branson ariana huffington people that you mentioned in the book i mean would you say that that's kind of the common thing that you observe that they they weren't They weren't letting those things hold them back, the Mm -hmm. fear of failure, because we're all going to fail. Eventually yeah. at things.
1: It's inevitable. Right? It's inevitable. Absolutely. I mean, you, you look at someone like a Richard Branson who's an incredible operator. I mean, he he starts businesses knowing that a bunch of them are going to fail. You know, he's he's got his relationship with failure. Um, you know, he, he he does it really, really well. I'm I'm not that good. I mean, I like to get things right, I like to be successful. I I've certainly had a bunch of failures and they weren't enjoyable at all. But you know, for these people, they they understand that failure is part of the brief and it's not having an attachment to the outcome so much so that it stops you from attempting the thing in the first place. And yes, to, to answer your question, that is an absolute pattern I've seen in every single successful person I've ever, I've ever met. They've found the confidence to to start, and they've gotten on their way. They appreciate that failure may be part of the brief, and you know they they don't mind nor matter about that. That's just what um you know what a life well lived means, right? It's it's the adventure, it's the excitement, it's the trying rather than the outcome.
0: Right. And, that, and failure will be a part of it. I'm talking with Emma Isaacs, and she's the CEO and founder of Business Checks and the author of Winging It. And if you have a question, you want to jump in on the conversation, 816 251 is the number if you happen to be spinning out there on the interwebs. And you hear us chatting here now. I want to, I want to spend a little bit more time on failure because I've, I've had so many and I'm actually, in addition to what I'm doing with unity, I'm, I'm trying to do some other things too. So I kind of related to that point in the book where you said, you know, it's okay to, to try to juggle, you know, a couple of, a couple of things at once, but I am, I mean, I am afraid that it might fail. I don't know. You know, but I've certainly failed at, at other things and, and survived. And I love that you encourage your readers to celebrate it. You know, sometimes things are not going to work out, even with the best of intentions. But but also in your experience, like, how do you know when it's time to just give up or when it's time to double down mm. and, you know, and keep going?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And it's it's something that I see a lot of small business owners really struggling with this idea of keeping on keeping on when you know it really is time to give up and try something else you know i I see a lot of people trying to make a small business work and it um it caused a lot of stress in the family dynamic it caused a lot of financial hardship and you know ultimately they do need to sit down and and, and have a tough conversation to see if it, they should be trying something else so and we've seen a lot of businesses obviously go through that this year and there is never a right time you know there's never there's no formula there's there's no recipe for when you'll know is it's exactly the right time to give up and try something new but I, I suppose the clues would be if you're under so much stress and you you cannot sustain um, a reasonable level of lifestyle outside of your business or or your job then that'd be a really really solid cue that it's time to try something else um, you know I've always been someone who's been led by gut feel and and led by the feelings that I have um, and there certainly have been times in my business that I thought this is really, really hard and it's challenging me and I'm not making much money, but I I know that there's opportunity here. I know there's potential. So it was definitely a feeling that I had to keep going. Um, And there were other times when I, again, checked in and thought, gosh, this is just not going to make it. Um, I'm feeling really icky about this it's time to you know turn off the tap and and you know put my hand up and say I failed so I I don't know that there's a tremendous amount of science to that I mean obviously if you're trading insolvent that would be um you know t- time to to really look at it but um you know it, it, it is about I, I see a lot of particularly women so in their heads, and and so um, you know, over analyzing everything. I think when we drop down and and really ask ourselves that tough question, is this working or is it not working? Then that can give you some really solid clues as to your next move and what you should do, what you should do next. But it's it's going to be different for every single person, right, Diane?
0: Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, I think back on some decisions that that I've made, and not not all of them have worked out. And I, I remember some that where I didn't listen to my gut that they eventually turned out horribly. <laughs> I should I would have saved yeah. myself a lot of pain had I listened to that voice saying, no, maybe you shouldn't do that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's great that you really tune into your your feelings, your gut, you know, and really kind of going from the heart to making those kind of decisions. Because I think if if I listened to myself, if I had paid more attention to that voice, it would have saved me a lot mm-hmm. of grief. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of pain and suffering for sure. Right. Now, also in your experience, what are some of the other reasons that businesses fail?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people start out wanting to be the Airbnb of or the, the next Netflix or, you know, next Amazon rather than Really coming back and finding what their unique skill set is, what their set of strengths are, um, you know, who they already have in their network, what what is their audience already, you know. And I'll give you an example of my with my first business. It was recruitment, so I had a bunch of customers that I built very, very strong and um, deep relationships with. I knew that they'd buy things from me, right? And so when I went to buy the next company, which was ostensibly events back then, it's obviously uh, morphed into other things, but. I knew I could take those relationships and ask for favours and ask them to become customers. So my my asset in that case was was my relationships. So I think they perhaps get a little bit too caught up in what the actual product is, you know, wanting to be the next, you know, insert X, Y, Z, rather than starting with, okay, hang on a minute, what do I have that's unique? What do I have that I could amplify? What are the assets or strengths that I have that I can really turn into something, you know? And, and you know, a lot of the time, you um, maybe not a lot of the time, but regularly it's not about the product that you have, but it's more about what the assets, you know, that you have, whether that's a personality trait or a strength or a skill or whatever it is, that's the sort of stuff that you can dial up. But I see a lot of people starting with, um, you know, thinking too, you know, too, um, I suppose, You know they've got all these grand ideas rather than saying okay i just need to start somewhere get a good paying client or customer get my next paying customer get my next paying customer you know they're too focused on the outcome or too attached to the outcome and that that can often get in the way of you know them either starting or or making a success of it so you know, with any small business, the it's always going to come back to the sales you can make and the customers that you can attract, right? So I would always advocate for, um, you know, really thinking about who those people are going to be, who the first 100 customers are going to be, and do they actually want whatever it is you're going to be
0: selling them or marketing to them. Right, and making those relationships, that's so important. And you bring up a good point where a lot of people – Maybe it's the younger younger generation, or maybe just people across the board. Like they're seeing around them. You know, these Instagram influencers and you know, these people like the get rich quick scheme and Mm. they're make they're making a ton of money and and this is all great. I was watching this guy that popped up in my Instagram feed, Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, but he was talking to a group of like young, you know, business people. And one of the questions the the guy was asking, I just want to sit on the beach and make money and work three hours a day and live in Mexico. And he's like, Well. You know, you're delusional because that's not yeah. that's not how it is, you know, and I'm thinking, well, where's the work ethic? Like, I remember having all these crappy jobs and, yeah. you know, slinging hash and doing all this stuff to do what I really wanted to do. I mean, do you think there's a disconnect with a lot of people in that they don't really realize how, you know, this is hard doing oh. something like that?
1: There's an absolute disconnect. And I think also when you see successful people, it's it's very, very difficult to, you know, get behind that mask or that armour and find out, you know, what it actually took to get there. But I can tell you in, from my own lived experience of running, you know, starting and running and scaling businesses these past 20 years, it is there's a torturous amount of work. I mean, like, you know, before I had kiddos, I was working easily, you know, 17, 18 hours a day, um, you know, mostly seven days a week. Um, you know, and and, and unapologetically, I, it was a choice for me. I chose to do it. Um, I, I loved every minute of it. Um, you know, I I could have the space then when I felt burnout, I would take myself off to a health retreat or whatever. I, I certainly don't have that available to me these days. But, yeah, there's definitely a, a disconnect or a um, you know misconception there that you can you can have both. Um, you know, certainly when you work your way up and achieve a level of success, it's possible. But at the at the very start of any business, there is blood, sweat and tears that is poured into that, you know, those moments. And there is there is absolutely sacrifice. There has to be sacrifice. Something has to give. You know, we only each of us have the same amount of hours in our day. Um so something has to give. You know, when I first started out being an entrepreneur, that was all I did, right? I I was wed to my business. um, you know, I would work so, so hard. Like I said, I, I have morphed into something different now and I have to, you know, give at least half of my time to my family. But, you know, that's what it took. That's what it took to get ahead. It's what it took for me to build my financial independence. It's what it, it's what I took to build a brand. It was what it took to build my team. Um, and yeah, there was no sitting on a beach in, in Mexico <laughs> working three hours a day. I mean, it's just it is delusional. That's the word for it. It's people are deluded if they think it's
0: gonna be that easy. No, it's never that easy. It's it's a lot of, a lot of hard work. I mean, just like a project I'm working on now has taken, you know, over a year to even get to a certain point. And there was like a huge setback in the middle where I thought this is never going to work. And I'm, I'm still going to, I'm still pushing through, you know, but it is, it's hard. And I think there's this illusion of, you know, oh, I'm like, when did Instagram influencer become a job? Is that really a job? <laughs> <laughs> how, how do I get that? You know, I, yeah. I, I don't um, I don't understand. But I think that people are believing that it's it's so easy and, it, and it's really not. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned earlier, like you really advocate kind of learning everything from the bottom and doing every job and being aware of what people are going through. And that's really important, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... Certainly,
1: in in my experience, being a great leader has been, um, you know, doing. I just wouldn't ask any of my team to do a job if I hadn't done it myself and experienced it. And I think there's a beauty with that. I mean, obviously, you get the respect um, and credibility from your people, and they're more, they're happier to work with you if you know you show that level of enthusiasm and and willingness. You know, and I've I've certainly been um, very blessed with the people in you know my first hire in my current company fifteen years ago is still with me to this day, and my CEO. Mm-hmm my business is on her third stint of working with me. She was in my first business and left and came back to my second business, you know. so, so I, And I have a number of people who have worked with me for over a decade. And you don't get that level of loyalty and, and support unless you're, um, you know, you've really worked in your leadership. And, and for me, it is having this idea of never feeling like you're too senior to pick up a broom. And that just means, you know, I, I will do the work that um, my people have done. And I will be the person at the end of the day still staying back with them and helping out. And it's this whole idea of serving servant leadership you know people think um you know when you think about traditional management or leadership it's like well the the workers are there to serve the leaders right and in my mind it's not that way it should be the leaders serving their people at all times like it's the the manager or the leader's job to take out the frustrations in their people's roles it's the manager or leader's job to inspire them and to help them and to support them and I'm always walking around my company saying what do you need at
0: the moment how can I
1: help you how can I support you and and you know that's That's the
0: mark of a great leader. Definitely. We're going to take a short break. I want to talk more about this, about leadership, and we'll be right back. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for hanging on during the break. I'm talking with Emma Isaacs, and she's the founder and CEO of Business Chicks, a global company that's helping women all around the world. And she's also written an amazing book that I was telling her previously in the previous segment. I wish I would have had this You know, a few years ago, (laughs) winging it, stop thinking and start doing why action beats planning every time. Just really a great guidebook. She shares a lot of her personal story in there and also, you know, giving you some advice about business and moving forward. And we were talking before the break a little bit about management and leadership. And I just wanted to pick up a little bit on that because I think. And especially for women, I don't know, I know some women that are natural leaders, like my sister, who's an assistant principal at a school, like she can walk in and command a room, you know, just look around and people will, will sit back and take notice. And I have other friends that are just really strong women. And I'll admit, I'm not that, you know, I'm not what I would call a natural leader. And I've had to work on some things that I'm still working on it, you know, that are hard. I mean, like, Uh, In my previous uh, position, you know, I had to be part of firing somebody that I had worked with for a long time, I lost sleep over it. I mean, I didn't eat, I think for a week, I I was a mess. And it, even though I did want that person gone, you know, I wanted that to happen. I just had such a hard, hard time with it. And so I just wanted to talk about a couple of other things uh, that make a great leader in your opinion.
1: And and firstly, I'd say that's a that's a perfectly normal uh, and human reaction. You know, like no one enjoys having to lay someone off of their role it's 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 not fun it's it's highly um you know stressful for everyone i mean i've i've learned a few tips along the way of running my own companies for 20 years you know and i think the thing that leaders have to do above all else is protect the culture of the business or the workplace above all else right and so if you need to let someone go Chances are they're disrupting your culture, or, you know, for whatever reason, it's impacting everyone, right? So, even though it was a very, very tough thing that you had to do and it, it had you, you know, caused you to lose sleep and it was very stressful, ultimately, I'm sure when that was done, things were a lot lighter for you and everyone else. So, um, I mean, gosh, we could talk about this for the next five hours, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, love, I love leadership. I, I think one of the things and one of the themes and, um, I mean, Dr. Brené Brown really brought it um, to popular leadership culture, if you like, but this idea of having our leaders be vulnerable at all times, you know, and, and, and by vulnerable, what I mean is admitting, you know, when they don't have the answers, admitting when they don't have the knowledge, admitting when they've made a mistake, um, and I, I, you know, some of the best, most of the best leaders I have, you know, have this trait of vulnerability very much at the top of their their skill set, um, and it's something that I've tried to really cultivate in my companies as well. So, um, you know, in in your example there, Dan, like you'd you'd say to a colleague who, um, you know, was was uh, next to you and understanding that you were suffering in anticipation of letting this person go, you know, you'd say, "I'm really struggling with this. I didn't sleep last night. I, I'm." you know not looking forward to it at all and then when you get to the meeting you'd be vulnerable again and say this is not an easy thing for me to do Um, and I have lost sleep over it but this is what's what has to happen so it's this whole idea of not wearing a mask to work which sounds funny during the pandemic but you know not not having to be someone else every day when you turn up to work you know bringing your whole self being a whole human when you come to your workplace and vulnerability is definitely um, one of the best ways to achieve a wonderful culture and, and be known as as a Leader, I think I think also about getting clear that a leader's role is not to be liked by everyone, and this is something that I see a lot of women really really struggle with. And you know, it's a, it's a um, systemic function of our our culture. You know, if if women are um, strong and confident, we can often be called names and um, be looked down upon, but you know, really whether you're a female or you're a male and if you're a leader, your job is not to be liked. You know, I I wrote about this in the book and um, there's a quote in there from Steve Jobs and he said, you know, if you want to be liked... Um, don't be a leader, go and sell ice cream. And, you know, I I love that because, you know, your role as a leader is to make the strong decisions. It's to ensure the viability of the business, it's to create a wonderful culture for the people inside of it. But it's also, you know, that takes making tough calls and having hard conversations. So I think, um, you know, practicing that over and over and and getting clear that you're going to upset a few people along the way. And unfortunately, if you want to be a leader, that is part of the brief. So I think vulnerability and understanding um you know that you won't always be liked i I think having a self-awareness is a great trait of any wonderful leader knowing their weaknesses knowing when to ask for help knowing when to call someone else in to do a job that they could do better than you could you know these are all things that um you know i certainly look up to in the strong leaders that i know so yeah they're a couple
0: That's all. That's great advice, especially trying to overcome the Mrs. Nice Guy syndrome. You know, we don't want someone to say we don't like you or I don't like what you did. And, you know, sometimes that that's tough to hear. And and it's it's funny, like the postscript of that firing situation is I'm actually still friends with that person, (laughs) you know, down down the road. And I think that it was ultimately better for him in that situation you know, now that he could look back and say, look, I really had to get out of that, that situation, you know, so I was glad that the friendship didn't totally suffer. And I love what you're saying about vulnerability. And that's, that's something I've tried to work on, too. And I I had a situation in a former company that I was at with a person that I really didn't like, and, and she probably really didn't like me either. And, you know, we had this whole situation where where she was my manager. And, the advice that I was given was just what you said, you know, maybe be vulnerable, go talk to her. I'm like, I'm not going to talk to her. I hate her guts. And I, I suck, I sucked it up. And I, I went, look, you know, we have to communicate, you know, whatever the situation is, you don't like me, I don't like you or whatever, like, but, you know, I'm not saying I have all the answers. Let's try to get along. Like I threw, I threw out the olive branch, you know? Yeah. And it was really hard to do (laughs) because I really didn't
1: like this person. No, you're exactly right. It's the hardest thing to do. I mean, we know that from our personal relationships, like being one of my, um, I suppose, spiritual heroes is a wonderful woman um, called Elizabeth Lesser, and she founded the Omega Institute in upstate New York, and a phenomenal, phenomenal woman and author. And she talks about this concept of being first responders in our relationship, you know, being the first on the scene to you know make amends to heal each other and and you know what you did there in that situation with your 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 colleague was is is the most hard thing to do, right? I mean it's easier to sit back and to moan about it and bitch about it with a colleague and you know ignore it, all of those things. but for you to step forth and say, hang on a minute, we need to do something here that takes it a huge amount of vulnerability and a huge amount of strength. And it's um you know it's it's being the bigger person. It's like what Michelle Obama says, you know you take the high road and you you try and be that first responder. So I, I think it's an amazing, yeah example that you that you talk about for sure.
0: Well, it, it's a, it was a good lesson because it, it really was something that I really didn't want to do, you know. Mm. I did not want to do it, you know, and I forced myself. And I did feel better. And I mean, I wish I could say that oh, we hugged and kissed after and everything yeah, was great. Right. And, and that's not really what happened. But I, I think that you know something something did shift, you know. And I I let that person know you know how I felt and mm. you know and and it was okay. So it but it was a good lesson. I mean, it was a good lesson for me to overcome something that I I really didn't want to do but I I did feel much better after so I I love that you mentioned vulnerability and I wanted to ask you too like you've mentioned a couple of people that have really influenced you and Elizabeth Lesser and she's so amazing and mentorship is really important in business right I mean don't you think it's always it's always good to help someone else and offer support I mean, that's your business.
1: A hundred percent, a hundred percent, you know, and um, it's very, very, very important to ask for help and, and and get great mentors around you. But I've always found that mentoring others is just such a gift and it's something that I get a lot of joy from. And I actually find a lot of learning in that as well, because when you're giving advice to people or, you know, being counsel for people, it's, um you know, you can really, I don't know, you just you, you learn a lot about yourself and, and how far you've come and, you know, questions you still don't have answers for. So I, I think there's a real joy in supporting others and, and being there for other people. And I also think when it comes to mentoring, people make a lot of mistakes, right? They I know this for a fact, being on the receiving end. So people walk around saying, you know, I, I need a mentor, I need a mentor, I need a mentor. I've always thought that, you know, having just one mentor is not the the way to do it. You should have a bunch of people around you that you can call upon for advice or go to in a situation. You know, I have probably ten or twelve people that I would consider mentors, and some of them I go to for investment advice, some of them I go to for leadership advice, some of them I go to for. Um, tax advice or, you know, um, so, so many different areas. Um, so I'd really encourage people, anyone out there who thinks the right way to go about mentorship is to find only one mentor. It's, it's not the way to do it. Try and really build a circle of trust of people around you who are happy to, you know, have you call them and, and ask questions from time to time. And, and also I've always been a proponent of not actually asking someone, will you be my mentor? Because when you get asked that, I get asked that all the time, you know, often people will think, oh, I don't have the time to be a mentor. But if you say to someone, hey, Diane, I'm I'm noodling a problem here. I I really need some support on it. Um, Would it be okay if I called you for 15 minutes? I have two questions I want to ask you. I'm going to email those questions to you beforehand. And would it be okay if we spent 15 minutes on the phone going through those two questions? Now, no one is ever going to say no to that. You know, if you you are being respectful of someone's time, if you're being succinct with what you want to find out, If you're, um, yeah, it's just showing a level of decency and and respect is is wonderful in that sort of situation rather than, I've been sat in situations where people say, can you be my mentor or, you know, can I come and pick your brains? And, you know, you you go to a lunch or a coffee for an hour and they haven't really thought through what they exactly wanted to find out. You know, and you end up having this lovely sort of social time, but you're sitting there thinking, what do they actually want to learn from me? So yeah, my advice would be to be really succinct with the information you want to get, um, be respectful of other people's times and, and also to build a circle of mentors around you, not just one person, because it's like anything in life, right? You can't get all your needs met from a or all your needs met from one friend, you know, we really need to understand that our relationships need to be broad and, and diverse.
0: That's so great. I loved when you mentioned that in the book, too, because I've, I've seen that, you know, so many people will not be respectful of your time and you you set clear boundaries and you, you mentioned that in the book, you know, and that and that's a great example. Like, look, give me 10 minutes. Here's what I want to know. And that's it, you know, rather than you wasting, you know, two hours out of your day that you just don't have time to do that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great point. Yeah, I mean, time is something that I've really experimented with. And if I'm protective of anything, it's my time because, you know, I, I certainly with having a young family of six children and running a global company, I've realized that my greatest asset above anything else is how I spend my time. So I'm not someone who, you know, can can sit around having long lunches at work. I'm not someone who can, you know, sit around having a uh, chat at the water cooler. You know, I'm someone who has to be highly productive and make every single minute, an hour and day and week count. So, um, yeah, I, I always appreciate that when people come to me for advice and they're succinct. And I think we should all, you know, keep that in mind as we, you know, go through our careers or businesses as well.
0: Yeah. And that's something I mean, I was gonna say, I don't know how you even have time with, you know, the life that you have, you know, what you're doing (laughs) with six kids and and a company. So I mean, I'm sure that's something you had to learn right, right off the bat, you know, as things started getting busier, look, this is what I have to give. And that's it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it means you sit down and you make, like I said before, you make your time count. So I'm not doing the things that make me busy. I I like to think of myself as a highly productive person because I simply don't have... Uh, you know, the time available that I used to. So when I, you know, get into, I mean, I'm not going to an office at the moment, obviously I'm working from my home office, but when I get in front of my computer, I'm not sitting here and, you know, trawling all the news sites and being on social media. And, you know, I I just don't have that luxury. If I want to be highly productive and highly successful, I've got to do the things that move the needle and that actually make a difference, right? And that means, getting um, you know losing the perfectionism like we spoke about before and done is good enough and it means um, saying no to a lot of things that someone else could do better than you it means delegating a lot it 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 means just being really self-aware about your time and where you spend it because to be really productive you want to make sure you're doing the activities that actually make a difference and not just make you busy
0: right absolutely and being self-aware of your strengths and and weaknesses and and you mentioned that in the book and it's so true um like a project i'm working on with another woman she's so great at certain things and i'm great at certain things but we're both not great at those things you know so so we kind of found found each other i'm like oh this is the perfect person you know she knows all this stuff and is good at it that i'm not you know, and yeah. I'm I'm good at other things, so I've I've definitely tried to learn and and be okay with what I'm good at and what I'm not good at.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot yeah. of things
0: that I'm not, you know, good at, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I try, yeah, like yeah. like everybody else. Now, something else I wanted to mention, uh, while we have some time in the show, we've I could talk to you forever because I would I would love to pick your brain, but I wouldn't uh, use your time in that way. But while we're on the show, <laughs> that this chat that I really love that I wanted to talk about called Speak Up. This really caught my attention because, oh, you know, so many times I've been in the situation where I just kept my mouth shut, you know, Mm. in meetings Mm. where there were really cringeworthy things that were said. And I look back and, you know, and I never said anything. And after reading this chapter, you know, I really wish I had, but although I wonder maybe if I had done that, if I would have gotten the boot, you know, from that particular situation. But I just wanted to see how or what advice would you give for us to really make our voices heard and still keep our jobs if we want them? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, this is a really, really big topic. And obviously, it's um, something that comes up time and time again in any leadership training but particularly women's leadership training and, and not that we're having a gendered discussion here but when you look at men and women in the workplace, I mean the studies tell us that men uh, dominate 75% of the speaking time in meetings and women, um, you know, are left with the 25%. Um, and it's something that I've watched, you know, over and over and over again in meetings. And, and, and once you start to have an awareness of this and once you start to see it play out again and again. It's it actually becomes a lot a lot more difficult to keep your <laughs> to keep quiet about. Um, you know, some of the examples I, I talk about in the book um, that you've read, Diane, that, you know, I um I was looking for some real estate one time and there was an ad um on the internet that said, you know, this this property would be perfect for a businessman or, or celebrity. And, and I just thought, what? Why you know why can't a businesswoman own it? You know, why why must it only be a man? So I emailed the agent and I said Listen, like I, I know you're probably not aware of this, but you, you need to, um, you know, you need to not do this. This is, this is sort of sending women so far back. And he just did not. He was not conscious to the fact that he'd been writing his advertisements like that, you know, for the for the past 40 or so years. If he had a, you know, high level property, he thought it was only going to be for a businessman. So I, I do call that stuff out. You know, another example in the book. I was on a, a website and. The section where they had all the baby food and the diapers, it, it, they called that category for moms, you know. And I wrote to them and I said, "Hang on a minute, like, don't dads change diapers and feed babies, you know? I, I think we need to sort of change that." So, you know, it's it's having an awareness, it's knowing who to influence, and it's it is about you know um, knowing when to speak up, um, and you know, it's it's knowing who the power brokers are in the, in a situation. So, you know, being able to um, Identify the people who have the control to make changes in a workplace, whether that be a, a big brand or whether it's someone who's leading a meeting where only the guys are giving the opportunity to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's afterwards saying, "Hey, I, you know, I, I noticed that this was happening, and do you think we could try and be a bit more aware of it and call other people's ideas forward and, you know, really specifically ask for their opinions." So, you know, there, there is a way to do it. I, I don't think you have to necessarily be. Um, Aggressive. I don't think you need to be, um, you know, shout it from the rooftops, but there are ways of calmly bringing up what is real and, you know, what is not good enough. And I think we've seen that play out in the world this year with, um, you know, the devastating um Effects of um, police brutality and and you know the systemic racism that that lives that we all live among you know and it's it is time for us all to raise our voices and say this isn't good enough and you know how that manifests for me is if I'm asked to speak on a panel I look at the makeup of the panel and. I look at are there enough women on the panel. I look at, are there, you know, are there enough people of colour on the panel. Um, and I will always give up my spot to someone else um, and make sure I, I talk with the organisers about that because it's really, really important to me that, you know, we, I don't know, that we that we bring diversity of thought and spirit Um You know, when it comes to race, when it comes to gender, when it comes to age, I think that's something that we all have to be part of the conversation. And I really believe that nothing's going to change, you know, if nothing changes. And the way to do that is for us all to speak up. But it can be done in a way that, um, you know, doesn't uh, send you out into the cold, um, you know, future without a job. I, I think we've got to find the people who can make the changes and influence them, you know, as best we can.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I really, you know, after I read that chapter, I really sat and, and thought, you know, wow, I wish I would have I wish I would have done something. But you know, when you you know, more, or you know, better, I think what did Oprah say, you know, better, you do better. Yeah, um, yeah, that it's it's possible that the next time that I'm in that situation, that I will be able to handle it and be able to say something. And you're right, like, I wouldn't have to get up in the meeting. This is an outrage. (laughs) Pound your fist on the desk. I'm not putting up with this. I mean, it doesn't have to be a huge scene. And the examples that you shared in the book, I thought were great. Like, hey, just a little nudge. And really, like the one guy, the real estate agent was probably just not stupidity, but just ignorance on his part. He had done things the same way for years and never really thought about it.
1: Yeah, it's just typical unconscious biases. That, that's all it is. But I think, you know, in, in a work sense, if you have to go to meetings where, you know, whether it's an, a gendered thing, whether it's males dominating the conversation, you know, you can, the way I've always thought about it is to, you know, um, almost gang up, um, you know, with your fellow female uh, workers and say, hey, I, I saw what happened there. I saw that he spoke over you or I saw that he interrupted you or, you know, I saw that you didn't get, enough time to put forward your idea um you know i'm going to back you next time so i'm going to speak up and say hey you know it'd be really nice if we could hear her whole idea you know this whole notion of the sisterhood supporting one another and, and again not to attack not to get into a fight not to be completely defensive but just having each other's backs is a really really nice way to um you know bring the playing field make it a little bit more level That that's that's certainly been my experience anyway
0: Right. And things can shift. And I, and I like that. You know, I like giving pe- other people credit and supporting them, you know, rather than being the one that to steal the idea. Oh, that was my idea. You know, share it with with the other people. And also another simple thing that I've seen many managers not do that I think is so easy is just appreciation or thanks or telling someone, hey, that you that was a great email you wrote or that was you know a great thing that you did and and just even a simple thank you can be yeah. you know really supportive too and and speak up that way and it yeah. would be just such a much better work culture
1: oh 100% you'd be so surprised at how how much this isn't a feature in so many workplaces you know this whole idea of being grateful for um, you know, everything that your team does and, and your people do. You know, I'm always the person who in a company-wide meeting will say, hey, you know, Lucy did a fantastic job in this or Ash did a wonderful job here or, you know, whatever it is. And I'm always the person who's just going over and sticking a little post-it note on someone's computer to say, hey, I saw what you did there and I'm really, really grateful. You know, the my team's been working from home, um, you know, pretty much this whole year and just the other week I thought, you know, it'd be really nice to brighten up their, Uh, their desks and and just make their day. So I sent them all um, a little plant and, you know, they were really, really grateful for that, you know, and it just sits there and it's a little reminder that, I don't know, that I care and that um, I'm grateful for them. So I think we should always be finding excuses and ways to give credit where credit's due and, and to be grateful for our people. And um yeah, I think if you can build that as a discipline, it just makes makes the culture so strong and unbreakable. And it gets you the results, like I talked about before. You know, my, my people have been with me for over a decade and um, still love their work. So I think there are definitely some lessons to be learned there.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, that says something if you've had employees for, you know, over a decade. And not only that, people that leave and then want to come back. That's yeah. got to be the best feeling, too. <laughs> like, come on we, we, we back, thought, you know.
1: Yeah, we call it the business chicks boomerang. You know, they leave
0: and, and, and um, they boomerang back. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it just mm. sounds like a fun a fun place to be and a great yes. work culture. And to be able to keep people's spirits up and, and be happy and engaged in what's had to have been the most difficult year ever in, in yes. the work world. I mean, everybody has had to make those shifts. I mean, for me, luckily, I had been working from home you know, for the past three years. So I had made that that shift. And even if it was hard, I felt a little more prepared, but a lot of people just kind of being thrown into it. It's been tough. Yeah. It's been really <laughs> it's, tough. And you know what's been
1: interesting, a lot of the – I've seen a lot of my um, younger workforce, you know, people who are in their mid-20s and, um, you know, they they've really, really crumbled. They, they're just not used to having to dig deep and find the resilience to adapt to change. Um, you know, my – my, my team in their 40s, 30s, 40s and 50s were um, much better suited to say, okay, I can see what's happening here and it's obviously out of our control and it's obviously very, very challenging for everyone, but I can manage it. But what's what really surprised me was the lack of resilience in, in our younger folk and, and you know, I really had to work hard to deconstruct that and give them the support they needed. You know, we had to have um, mental health consultations and, um, you know, some coaches come in and that, that's been a real eye-opener for me, um, just how challenging it's been for the younger people to adapt, um, yet yeah, to such massive changes. So I, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, <laughs> I hope to breed some resilience in my kids, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a different day and age, that's for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Tell him, suck it up, buttercup.
1: Yeah. I remember,
0: <laughs> I remember getting the time. boot. Yeah. <laughs> I got the boot for one, from one job, and I was crying to my friend, and she's like, pull it together, put your helmet on, you know, yeah. let's go. And she was trying to give me the whole speech. It was so funny because I was, like, crumbling, you know. <laughs> I can't do it. Put your helmet on. So right. I guess, you know, we need a little bit of that, you know, some tough love, but it, then things will get better, and, and people will will adjust and adapt. It's been so fun to talk with you, Emma. You're, you're just such a great inspiration for women out there and, and all of us, you know, trying to hold it together and, and move forward in business. And we have just a minute. Um, where can people find you and find out more about what's going on?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I'd love you to join our company. We're running some amazing virtual meetups and different um, events online at the moment until the world opens up. So uh, you can head to businesschicks.com. Um, I'm on social media at Emma Isaacs. And obviously, Business Chicks has its own page at Business Chicks as well.
0: Well, check it out and definitely pick up the book, Winging It. It is a fun read. And thank you so much, Emma, for giving me the time and joining me today. It's been fun. Oh, thank
1: you so much, Diane. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.